welcome to our podcast, Into the Mist, a hidden place where we walk into the dark and clouded unknown to discuss aliens, cryptids, and other mysteries for our and hopefully your amusement. I am your moose of a host, Gary, with my wife and co-host, Goldie Ann. Hello, Goldie Ann. Hi, Gary. Well, I want to thank everyone for joining us on our fourth episode and hope you'll join our Facebook group, Within the Mist, where we post different photos and other images that are connected to our topics, and we hope this gives you a chance to join in the discussions. Dive deeper. Dive much deeper. So just log into your Facebook and search for our group, Within the Mist. Now, Goldie Ann, how did you used to spend your spring break vacations from school when you grew up? Oh, wow. That was a long time ago. Let's see. I think I just hung out outside with my friends. We never really went anywhere except in the summer. Too far away, living in Wyoming, all of our relatives were down south. All right, so it was just spending the evenings out with your friends, driving up and down the lonely streets of Wyoming? Oh, well, that was my teenage years. How'd you know this? <laughs> I'm taking a guess. <laughs> yes, the Strip is yes. what we called it. Every small town has a Strip. I and, loved it. Well, spring break is a time to hang out with friends late at night. And it usually involves parties and alcohol and driving up and down the same strip. I'm so glad my parents aren't listening. <laughs> well, this story takes place on such events as that. It was during a period of 48 hours, and a handful of teens in a small town were to experience late-night encounters of one of history's most unusual cryptids. Since that week, almost 50 years ago, these sightings have never been forgotten, even though the little guy has never made a repeat appearance. The little guy? Exactly, because oh. today we're going to discuss the Dover Demon. Ooh, sounds cool. It very much is. The Dover Demon was first named by Lauren Coleman, the godfather of cryptozoology. You're such a fanboy. It's very much so. <laughs> now, Demon might be a little bit of a harsh uh, term for him, considering the events, this demon actually appeared to be quite small and frail. Situated in Massachusetts, Dover's history has always been strange and mysterious. In the very earliest of times, this area had stories in which a George Battelle described that amidst the superstitions of the age, he thought he saw his satanic majesty as he was riding on horseback by the secluded spot. Satanic majesty. They talked very fancy in Massachusetts at that time. All hail Satan, the majesty. Exactly. Okay. So these, this part of Massachusetts used to have images of the devil himself on horseback riding up and down the cobblestones of older Dover. Cool. This really reminds me of the stories of the Headless Horseman of Sleepy Hollow. So how close was this to Salem? Well, Salem, Massachusetts is... I think about an hour, hour and a half uh, distance away. Oh, so that, ooh, wow. Okay. Like I said, Massachusetts has a long history of supernatural or uh, magical incidents going on. Cool. So, but Dover was a highlight of this supernatural phenomenon, and it started with a devil that would, on a horseback. Another strange occurrence that was going on in this part of Massachusetts was buried treasure was supposed to have been in this location as well, but it has never been explained why pirates would travel so far from the shore to hide their treasures. 
it would have been a monumental task for them to carry chests of their ill-gotten booty from their ships multiple aisles inland just to bury it and hide it from discovery. Yeah. But regardless of the distance, there have been signs of extensive digging in the immediate area of this area of Dover over the years. It's never been identified who's been doing the digging or why, hmm. or if there's been any treasure maps have been discovered in these uh, part of Dover. So how do they know it's buried treasure and pirates? Rumors. Oh, okay. Rumors and legends, but I mean, no actual say, proof. You know, there's a pig outside digging. Oh no, these are these are extensive uh, holes that are being dug. Ah. Someone was actually digging pretty deep and pretty thorough, looking for something in specific. Okay. Now, are there people or other mysterious beings looking for buried treasure in the area? It's been unknown and unproven of what has been doing the digging and what they are looking for. All of this supernatural occurrences has led up to 1972. <laughs> now, I'm going to point this one out. This is the events of a Mark Senat, and it's the prelude to the Dover Demon story beginning in 1972 in which Senate and his friends might have seen a demon themselves at Channing Pond on Springdale Avenue of Dover in 1972. Now, he gave his story to the police that they were driving up and down the area, and they don't, uh, they don't really specify what it is they saw. In fact, he quoted to the reporter that, I don't know if we really saw anything at all. We thought we did. We saw a small figure deep in the woods moving at the edge of the pond. We could see it moving in the headlights. We didn't know. It could have been an animal. So Senate was very vague about him and his friends seeing an animal along the pond in Dover, Delaware in 1972. He said he told the police who investigated, but nothing came of it. The story of this mysterious figure never gained any fame and faded for many years. The story never sparked any real interest as none of the descriptions were very vivid and Senate was very hesitant about giving details. It would take five years for that spark to really turn into an explosion and this is when the Dover Demon really made his presence known. I thought it was 48 hours. For 48 hours the Dover Demon uh, made his appearance but it was only if, if Senate's story is true he may have made an appearance in 1972, oh, okay. but it wasn't until 1975 that people took notice. Okay. And that notice started with a 17-year-old William Bill Bartlett, and his experience brought the Dover Demon into the spotlight. The story goes that the young teenager had been driving north on Farm Street with two friends, Mike and Andy, on April 21st, 1977 on their way to Shearborn about 10 p.m. So we have a group of three boys who are driving on their spring break looking for their own adventures, their own parties. Though they didn't have any beer, Bartlett stated that we were probably looking for it, he said, but we didn't have any that night, so he claims. Now, remember, this is spring break, so do you believe him? Well, he said he was looking for it, you know. And it's 10 o'clock at night, so if they haven't found it by then... Oh, well, never mind. However, Bartlett was driving at the time, and his car was driving along Farm Street as the boys were joking around and playing with the car's radio. 
He just happened to glance out of his driver's side window and noticed something creeping along a low wall of loose stones. He thought the thing was a dog or a cat or maybe even a raccoon at first, but he quickly changed his mind when the headlights shined their light on the thing creeping along the wall. Insert scary music here. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> now, the creature is like nothing he's ever seen before as it slowly turned its head and stared back into the light of Bartlett's car. The boy described the figure as standing less than three and a half to four feet tall with a shape like a baby's body with long arms and legs, which means wow. he had a pooch belly. Pooch belly? Pooch belly and skinny, <laughs> flimsy little arms uh, dangling from all directions. The basic description that he gave is very similar to what uh, people call the gray version of aliens. Ah, yes. So if you can imagine the big head, big eyes, really small body, yeah, and long arms. Little poochy belly. Little poochy belly. (laughs) This is a a variation of what he saw. However, this hairless creature had the skin of a rosy orange with a rough texture like wet sandpaper instead of the classic sickly gray. Hmm. Wet sandpaper. Is how it was described. So you're, t- you're talking about that gritty, coarse texture that sandpaper would have, and it had a l- slight shine to it as if it was wet. Ah, okay. Now, it did have the traditional watermelon-shaped head, and it was the size of the rest of the body resting upon the top of an impossibly thin neck. The creature did not seem to wear any clothing unless the clothing was very tight-fitting and the exact same color as its body. And it had spindly arms and legs ending in large hands and feet with very long fingers. Bartlett was focused on the creature with tendril-like fingers wrapping around the stones of the wall. The eyes were large, round, glassy, and lidless. They shone brightly like two orange marbles glowing in the headlights. He saw the freakish figure for about 10 feet away during the time it took his car to travel from one utility pole to the next, which was just a matter of seconds. Right. So this is a very short span of time to take in so much details about what he saw. The two friends could not report seeing the creature as they had been joking with each other and during the experience. And they did say that their friend was really spooked by what he had just saw. He shouted to both of them and they convinced him to turn the car around to get a second look. However, when they got back to the location Bartlett had previously seen the creature, whatever he saw was gone. Bartlett decided to end the night and dropped his friends off and quickly drove to his home. When he got home, he was visibly upset and shaken by his encounter when he walked through the door of his home, so his father asked him what had happened. The son related the story to his father and later sketched what he had seen that night. He drew the enlarged head on the small body with its elongated fingers just as he'd remembered it earlier that night. The neat thing that he does is that he writes on the sketch. So this was his sketch that we're looking at. This is, yes, I have have an image of the uh, sketch exactly as he drew it, and I will post that on our Facebook group. And if you look closely at the sketching, you're going to see where he wrote on the sketch, I, Bill Bartlett, swear on a stack of Bibles that I saw this creature. 
And he even put his signature on it. Cool. So he didn't think people would take him seriously, but he did want to put that his affidavit that this was true and that he swore to God that everything that he saw was what he saw. <laughs> well, while you were reading it, I was thinking back to where I would swear on my mom, mother's grave, you know. Mm. <laughs> so, you know. I mean, I that's know. a pretty serious it is. claim I mean, that he has if he's going to swear on a sack of Bibles for it. And if he's from Massachusetts, I mean, they're pretty religious. It's almost as bad as the Bible Belt. But what do you think of the story? Do you think that he's actually saw something? Oh, yeah, he could have seen something. I mean, it's, you know, it's not hard to believe. I mean, his friends said that he was scared. I mean, if you drive that strip week after week, and you've never seen anything like it before, like, yeah, he could have seen something. Especially that late at night and just under the spotlights. Right. So this was at 10 o'clock on, in, on, in April of 1975, but also on that same night around midnight, the Dover Demon got his second exposure. Well, see, there you go. Uh-huh. It was around midnight. 15-year-old John Baxter had his own encounter with a similar creature, or the same one, on Miller Hill Road of Dover, which is just a little bit farther than Farm Road. Baxter had left his girlfriend's house at the south end of Miller High Road. And if someone can explain to me what a 15-year-old <laughs> boy... I was about to say. <laughs> I know. What is a 15-year-old boy doing at his girlfriend's house at midnight? The father obviously wasn't home. I, it never says what the family was going, doing at the time. But I'm not going to ask. I'm not going to judge. I'm just going to continue on with the story. Bad parenting. Well, it's the 1970s. It was different Really time. bad parenting. Wow. I was born in 1972. Well, this 15-year-old started walking up the street on his way home alone in the middle of the night. This just screams a horror movie cliche. <laughs> or am I imagining this scenario? No. Okay. How many horror movies do you see? There's the lone guy or lone kid walking down the street and the street lights are out or it's really dark. That's when that's when Jason or Michael and or these slashers jump out. Right. Jason, not Michael. Okay. <laughs> the horror expert speaks. <laughs> Anyways, this Baxter kid uh, has gone about a mile along the road after walking for a half hour when he observed someone approaching him on the same road. Baxter isn't frightened or scared, and he assumes it's a boy named MG who lives on that same street. He thinks it's this other boy because the dark figure is short and MG was known to have a deformity. Okay. So he was a special needs child that Baxter was familiar with, and the shadow did resemble what he thought would be him. And this is midnight. Actually, 1230 at night, okay. so even later. And there's no parent of a deformed child going to be allowed that child out at night. But Baxter doesn't think of this. Okay. Baxter does not seem to be afraid for his own safety, but is more concerned with the small boy. So he calls out to the boy, but the small shadowy figure does not respond. And so Baxter becomes more concerned because, like you said, why would MG be out alone so late? Well, at least he's concerned. This should have been odd to Baxter, in my opinion, because he's walking on a long, uh, dark street at midnight, and the teenager and the figure continue to make their way towards each other 
until the dark figure stops. So Baxter's walking towards the shadow. The shadow is making his way towards Baxter. And Baxter still has no idea who it is. But then the dark figure stops in front of him. And Baxter stops as well and shouts out, Who is that? And he's no longer convinced that it's MG. Hmm. The sky is dark and overcast, and he could basically only make out the shadowy form in front of him. And trying to get a better look, Baxter takes a step forward, and the figure says, That's it, I'm done, and darts off to the left, running down a shallow wooded gully and up the opposite side of the banks. As the figure ran off, Baxter heard its footsteps on the dry leaves. So now Baxter is alone on the streets. The <laughs> figure has now darted off into the woods. Baxter has to make a decision. The boy disobeys the first rule of any horror story and follows the figure down the slope until he is able to stop and look across the gully. So he goes off the road into the dark <laughs> forest after something he has no idea what it is. From his vantage point, Baxter finally gets a glimpse of what the creature is, and his heart starts beating in a panic. And I'm betting he wished that he had just gone home at this point. Yeah. It was standing in silhouette about 30 feet away with its feet molded around the top of the rock several feet from a tree. So its toes are elongated enough that it can actually circle around the rocks and grip onto them for support. Baxter is actually reminded of a monkey as he saw the creature's body, except for its dark, figure-eight-shaped enlarged head. So as he's looking at it, he sees this huge head on top of a monkey's body with long arms, long fingers. He sees two lighter spots in the middle of the creature's orange eyes peering straight back at him. Its enlarged head never wavered its attention away from the boy, as it continued to use its thin arms and legs to support itself on some rocks by the tree. Baxter finally starts <laughs> to feel uneasy and some fear starts building up. He realizes he has never seen such a creature before and the two just stood staring back at one another. Baxter... Yeah, that, that little demon might have never seen something quite like that before too. In both cases, in the cases with Bartlett, the creature just froze on the rocks as the headlights shined on it. And now here with Baxter, it's pretty much just frozen by the tree, not moving, hoping that Baxter will, you know, go away. Right. Which Baxter does. Fear finally overtakes him and he darts his way back up the slope, afraid of what might happen next. He makes his way down the remainder of the road to the intersection of Farm Street. Farm Street being where the first sighting happened. Okay. It is here that luckily there was a couple passing by in a car that recognized Baxter, picked up the frightened boy, and drove him home. Baxter also made a sketch of the creature he had seen, much like Bartlett's, with very similar features. And he even breaks out what some of those sightings are, such as eyes glowing faintly, the silhouette with the same huge head, hands that were able to wrap around a tree and toes that wrapped around the rocks and down at the bottom of his letter which i'll post on facebook he writes down as seen by john baxter on the morning of friday the april the 22nd at 12:30 a.m okay so he is taking credit and standing by his word of what he saw right so now goldian we have two encounters 
less than three hours apart from each other by two boys of the same creature. Right. This one, I'm not real sure. I mean, I guess, I don't know. I guess if I believe this first one, you got to believe the second one. But this kid just doesn't seem as believable as the first one does. Only because, you know, he's, you know, out that late at night. He's only 15. But like you said, it's back in the 70s, so. Can't judge the way kids were (sighs) with today because now we're far more paranoid. That's true. We're living in a much more dangerous age. During the 70s, this was a time of hitchhiking, uh, people being out late, uh, the entire neighborhood kept an eye on the kids. Kids sneaking out at night. Exactly. So it's not unusual for Baxter to have been out that late. It's just as we look at it now, we would be like, that would never happen today. So now we have two sightings of the Dover Demon. Right. Nothing more occurred that night, but another 15-year-old, an Abby Brabham, reported to have seen the creature the following night on Springdale Avenue. Again, still very close to where the other two sightings were seen. So now we're on April 22nd, 1977. And you're just going to love how this one starts. This sighting occurred at midnight while she was driving home with her boyfriend, Will Tainter, who was aged 18. 15-year-old girl with 18. Sorry. That, right. That doesn't bother me yeah. at all. Okay. I was 15 and my boyfriend was 19. It was a different time. So Abby is driving home with her boyfriend. And she notices something on the road ahead of her. So here we have another young teenager out very late with her boyfriend during spring break. She claims, as I looked at it, it kind of looked a minute like an ape. And then I looked at the head and the head was very big and it was a very weird head. It had bright green eyes and the eyes just glowed like they were looking exactly at me. She described the creature as walking along on all four legs with large ovoid head and long spindly limbs. So again, we have the monkey body with a very big watermelon-sized head on top of a thin neck. Abby said that the uh, figure in the road was missing all of its facial features except for its eyes, which were round and, like I said, glowed bright green, staring directly at the whole time. So she then drew a picture of the creature as well. She's a horrible drawer. Well, compared to the other two, yeah, her sketch is not not quite as impressive. It's not even what she said she saw. Poor girl. Also different uh, from just her drawing is that the green color is different from the other two descriptions, but it is the color that Brabham unwaveringly insisted on to the investigators despite his variations. She would never change her opinion of that the the orange was not what she saw, it was green. The girl went on to mention that she assumed that the creature's eyes might have been reflecting from the car's headlights. So there's a difference between reflection and glowing. Right. It is possible that the other two boys saw the eyes glowing, whereas hers was the reflection of the headlights hitting the eyes and bouncing back, turning them to green. Tainter, the 18-year-old boyfriend and the other passenger in the car, only caught a momentary glimpse of the figure. 
So he reported that there was something with an enlarged head and a tan body crouched in the road. And that's pretty much all he claimed that he saw. Why Most, is it the other person never sees it? What are they doing? <laughs> probably playing with the radio, uh, smoking cigarettes, uh, drinking. I mean, like I said, my brain keeps going back to this was spring break. This is at midnight. There had to be some partying, some kind of activities going on that was very distracting. Right. And the fact that these three teenagers even saw the creature at all is kind of miraculous that they were paying enough attention that three people actually saw it. True. Both of them uh, compared the size of what they saw to that of a goat. Though that if this had been my daughter who was out with her boyfriend at midnight, I think the boyfriend would have had more to worry about than a goat-sized demon. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just a little bit more on the overprotective side. Well, that's so. true. My, my curfew was 10 o'clock. See? And this is midnight. And out there with a demon. I don't think out I ever over. got a 12 o'clock curfew. Ever. No? I think when I got married, I got one. When you got married, you actually I think had I a curfew? I got one. But he was with me. <laughs> 12 o'clock, be home. There you go. So now we have three different occasions, all within 48 hours, of the Dover Demon, and they're all very similar. Uh, I want to know what Abby was smoking, for one. because And, and that is possible. But know, it's, it's never just, proven that that has hap was happening. I think she heard about the others, saw something else, and her mind went crazy. Because what she describes and what she drew isn't like the others. Okay. I mean, it's it wasn't really a goat size. He wasn't on all fours. He was always erect. Her story is very different, but the chances of her hearing from uh, Bartlett's and Baxter's is very slim because... None of the three knew each other. What about the newspaper? Well, let me get to that. In okay. fact, the newspaper didn't report on this until a week later. Ah, oh, hmm. Okay. Because what had happened was is that Bartlett, after spring break was over, his father had told him not to tell stories about this. He was concerned about his son being teased or creating a problems and those things like that. Bartlett took it upon himself to take his drawings, the ones that I showed you, and made copies of those and started passing them out to people at his school to try and find out if someone else had seen anything like this. Huh. He wanted either people to have seen the same creature that night or be able to explain what it was he saw. Okay. So he was still he was looking for answers, and that's when he met up with Baxter and then when he met up with Brabham. Ah. who then said that, yeah, they had seen something very similar, and they also had their own drawings. It was at that point that they reported what they had saw to the authorities, who took their statements, and the statements then got to the newspapers. The Boston Herald and the Boston Globe, because we're talking Massachusetts, then did a story on it. Over the next month, several local papers ran stories concerning the sightings, and it was then that the previous sighting by Mark Sennett in 1972 came out. So as the newspapers started printing the stories of the, the three teenagers, that's when Sennett's 1972 uh, appearance came out. So the five years earlier occurrence of the Dover Demon. Okay. Let's see. So now we have four stories, one of them five years prior, but it's now starting to make headlines. Right. 
The Boston Herald and the Boston Globe then ran stories on the creature in May. The Boston Globe actually made the discovery that the locations of the sightings, if you plot them on a map, lay in a straight line over two miles long, which is significant if you believe in the term of ley lines, which refer to invisible circuits of magic power similar to how power lines carry electricity. So in some witchcraft or magical incantations, there's a belief that the world is divided by ley lines, which are, which are power that go, follows a direct path. And the sightings of the Dover demon make a straight line similar to what a ley line is. So there was a lot of beliefs that the supernatural or at least the witchcraft part plays into the Dover demon. These ley lines also gave support to the mysterious history that the area has had, such as the devil on horseback and the spooky dig digging. So all of this magical happenings and occurrences all fall into this direct line, giving support to ley lines. All these sightings were made in the vicinity of water, which will come into play later. The news articles brought the creature to the attention of Lauren Coleman, who came to the area for his own investigation. He interviewed each of the teenagers separately in an attempt to determine if they had corroborated their stories. Each held true to their separate encounter and were not familiar with the other testimony. He even attempted to persuade Abby Brabham to change her story of the green color of the eyes to orange of the boys, but she would not. This convinced Coleman that the teenagers were all being truthful. In fact, the chief of police knew the three teenagers and would vouch for the character of these kids. So these were not kids that he would consider out drinking or smoking or doing pot. Okay. So he believed the story. <clears throat> Lauren Coleman and the chief of police then gave some credence to the stories and Coleman created the term Dover Demon, which the dark figure has been known ever since. Now, there have been no other eyewitnesses have come forward after that 48-hour spring break time period. But the experiences didn't completely stop for Bill Bartlett. According to him, he was in a parked car with his girlfriend the following year. Yes, I can tell what you're thinking. What is the boy doing in a parked car at night with a girlfriend? But he... You didn't heard... get out much when you were young, did you? No, I was, I was a good kid. Okay. Anyways, Bartlett was in this parked car when he heard a thump on the hood of the car. He wasn't able to spot the small figure leaving the scene, and he remains unsure who or what banged the car. He said, though, it could have been a youngster playing a prank on him, or it could have been a cat or a raccoon, or it just might have been the return of the Dover Demon. Ooh, sounds like a movie. The return of Dover Demon. Exactly. And I, I want you to remember that. Okay? okay. I want you to hold on to that because you're going to need that as I, as I come up for more. Okay. 29 years later, oh, they did a follow-up. Well, no. They did a follow-up article, a newspaper article with William Bartlett, who is now a pretty successful artist. And he stood by his story of what he saw on Farm Street that night. He was quoted to say, I have no idea what it was. But I definitely know I saw something. And he wished that he 
wish they had never seen it because every Halloween he gets reporters, he gets onlookers, he gets harassed about what he saw and if he would see it again. He kind of dislikes the popularity that he got from it, but he's never changed his story and he's never said it was a hoax. Now, you were talking about ah. the return of the Dover Demon. Right. That brings us into how the Dover Demon has been done modern. Okay. The Dover Demon only made a 48-hour appearance and has not been active for decades since its appearance in 1977. However, it's still a part of modern culture. People still talk about the Dover Demon. In fact, I really enjoyed Hunter Shea's book, Dover Demon, which is a fictional account that acts as a sequel to the events. Pretty much, it's a return of the Dover Demon. Awesome. In this book, it acts as a sequel to the events, but gives the harmless creature a much more deadly personality and a lot more of them. The story takes place underneath the streets of Dover, and as I was reading it, it gave me vibes of the movie Descent. Okay. So if you're familiar with the movie Descent, it's a group of women who go splunking in the caves, and they come across a bunch of humanoid monsters that are basically horrifying and demon-like demon -like <laughs> and killing off the characters in the movie. Now, that... This kind of plays the Dover Demon as similar to those kind of creatures in this book. Right. I don't want to interrupt you, but as you're talking about that, I was actually thinking back to Abby's story, thinking, well, what if there's more than one? Maybe hers was an older one, and maybe it was a younger one. Or maybe it actually does walk on all fours, but can get on its hind legs. Right. That's what I mean. Maybe it was a totally different one. That's what this book kind of goes into. So if you get the chance to read it, I highly recommend Hunter Shea's uh, S-H-E-A uh, book. It's titled The Dover Demon. And that'll give you a more of a modern, re modern sequel to The Dover Demon Encounters. Lauren Coleman, after he had done his investigations into The Dover Demon, has a great fondness for the little guy and wrote a much less horror-based interpretation of the Dover Demon with his book on the subject called Monsters of Massachusetts, Mysterious Creatures in the Bay State, where he does discuss the Dover Demon in great detail and is quite a supporter that the existence of the Dover Demon could be true. Right. Unfortunately, evidence-wise, there's really no evidence of the creature. The only thing investigators have to go on are the sketches and the testimonies of a group of teenagers who saw the creature late at night for just seconds at a time. Right. There's never been any footprints. There's never been any physical evidence that someone could collect. Although it is interesting that none of the teenagers were friends, all of their stories and descriptions do closely resemble each other in such a short period of time. This is very true. So that gives strength to their testimony, even though there is no physical evidence. Lauren Coleman's interviews also helped support that because he felt that all three were very sincere in what they saw and were not likely to have confused what they saw with something else. Hmm. He believed their stories and that there may be an undiscovered animal roaming the woodlands outside of Dover. So now let's get into theories of what the Dover demon may have been. The first one and the most common one that people want to point out is that this is a misidentified animal. 
Okay. All cryptids always go to oh no, it it was a it was something else that they just got confused on. First one is a horse. Some no. suggested <laughs> I know. Some have suggested that the creature might have been a very young horse or a foal that had gotten lost in the middle of the night. This would explain the skinny body, long legs, and a really big head. How did his fingers wrap around that tree? That's weird. Exactly. There's a lot of things that do not fit in with a young horse. In fact, here's an even stronger support against this being a young horse. Officials canvassed local horse owners after the incident and none reported missing a horse, much less a youngling. To make the possibility even less likely was that for this to have been a horse, it was the wrong season. This wasn't foaling season, so there was no baby horses at this time. This was the wrong time of the year for a newborn horse, much less one wandering around without its mother. Very true. So there's a lot of arguments against this being a misidentified horse. No, there's just no This way. is my favorite one. And Uh-oh. This is that the Dover demon is actually a baby moose. <laughs> now they're they're more gangly, but and they do have still, the, they have that huge head. It's not watermelon shaped though. No, it kind of is. A, a moose does have a big uh, forehead, and it does narrow down at the snout, and its actual mouth opening does flare out again. So it does have a peanut shaped head. I'm not a baby. So what these people are saying that the what the figure is that the teenagers saw was just a baby moose in the dark with its spindly legs and peanut-shaped enlarged head. However, for the moose theory to work, there have only been two moose reported in Massachusetts between 1977 and 1978, both of them in central Massachusetts. There has not been a moose in that area of Dover, Massachusetts for years. And a yearling moose by that time in April would have weighed more than 600 pounds and was bigger than a Volkswagen that Bartlett was riding in. So again, it is really impossible for a baby moose to have been born during that period roaming around Dover, Massachusetts. Could the Dover demon have been an alien? As we said, Hmm. a lot of people report that it does have a similar appearance to the alien beings witnessed in many UFO sightings. Grays are often described as having enlarged heads, circular eyes, with thin arms and legs. The color is different because these the Dover Demon is a light orange or a rosy color. This argument is supported by the fact that the creature was only seen for a short period and has since disappeared completely without any trace. So the theory is, is that you had aliens, they made a pit stop in Dover, Massachusetts. They wanted to come, they wanted to have their own spring break. Oh, dear God. And then they boarded their spacecraft, left for the stars, and just have never been seen again. I don't believe in aliens. Well, then this argument... I do this argument, in cryptids, though. This argument would not work for you, then. It doesn't. That's why I've been rolling my eyes over here. Well, <laughs> the next category we always have to work with is that this was just a complete hoax. The police department's official word with the Associated Press was that the creature reported by teenagers was probably nothing more than a school vacation hoax. That this was just kids playing around during spring break trying to scare the community. Oh, this was the press that said this? No, this was the police department. Oh, Oh, police, okay. Right. 
So the Dover huh. Police Department's official word was that this was a hoax. Kids just trying to scare the, the local community. Interesting. However, as I mentioned before, the police chief named Carl Sheridan went on quoted as saying, I knew the kids involved. They were good kids, pretty reliable kids. So the chief of police believed them. But because there was no evidence, it kind of their official story was that this was all just a hoax. Hmm. Now, there were no indications at the time that any of the witnesses knew what the others were reporting, and none of them have ever changed their story nor revealed that the creature was a hoax. Right. So as of right now, there's no evidence that this was a hoax. It would be really simple for Baxter or Brabham or even Bartlett to come out and say, yeah, we just made a joke. We were just trying to play a prank on the town of Dover. Right. In fact, Bartlett, years later, says that he wished he had never told the people about the Dover Demon, but it did happen. This is my favorite part, and I, I actually really like this story. Okay. Okay? This is the story of the Monagishi. There's a theory that the figure that they were seeing, the Dover Demon, was actually a member of the Monagishi race. The Monagishi is a race of trickster people in the Cree Indian folklore, similar in nature to leprechauns or imps of European legends. So you have the Native Americans who have their own version of leprechauns or little people. They are described by the Cree legends as semi-humanoid, being similar to human but possessing very thin and lanky arms and legs with big heads but no nose. Okay. So that does fit into the description of the Dover demon. But what about the mouth? Because Abby said there was no mouth either. Well, if the mouth was closed, she might not have noticed it. True. Now, according to the Cree mythology, there are two humanoid races in the world. One being the familiar human species and the other being the Managishi. These little people are said to live between the rocks in the rapids of rivers and streams. So right. that fits into where everyone kept finding these creatures by water. It is also said they have the ability to move along the rocks, supporting the creatures just like the teenagers said, their feet molding around stones and trees. The biggest delight that these tricksters have is that they crawl out from under the rocks, capsize canoes of people traveling along the river, and then spinning them to their deaths. Oh, so they're nice little things. Right, so there is a malicious nature to these creatures. But they are always found along the rocks, and they're always found around the waterways. So now you have the Managishi little people. So you basically have Massachusetts leprechauns or imps that live in uh, the rocks of the streams and waterbeds that existed all throughout Dover, and maybe that's what these three kids saw. So in conclusion, my opinion is that the story that there are fairy folk creatures that hide amongst the rocks to cause mischief to people is pretty creepy, especially when it expands to capsizing canoes and drowning people. <laughs> I find, think that the majority of people who believe that these creatures are real are going to support the story that this was an alien from outer space just because of the similarities with greys. This area has always been a focal point for legends and is even supposedly a ley line for magical energy. So it's not surprising for stories of demons, pirate treasures, or little people creatures coming from another planet to spring from this area. 
This area is always going to be ripe for supernatural stories and it was the perfect place for the Dover Demon to make its appearance, mostly because of it being so unique and so different from any other cryptid creature. It is not like a Sasquatch or a Chupacabra. Its uniqueness fits very well with the history that the Dover, Massachusetts area has. Wow, I kind of, I've never heard the story of these little people. It actually fits it just fine. So my question would be, how well did these kids know about these mythical fairy folk creatures? And if so, they could just have been playing a hoax. To, in, my, in my research, I did not find a lot of information going back to the Managishi. Uh, it was kind of a roundabout, went down a really long rabbit hole as to finding out this Legends of the Cree Indians. That's crazy because it, it fits it so well. For me, it did, and that's why I don't know why it didn't get more support for it. And I think that's because the body description fits in with the gray air aliens much more, so everyone always goes to the easy answer that this was either a baby moose, this was a school prank, or this was a, a gray alien but of a different color. Right. So the legends of little imp creatures like the Managishi – didn't really get the spotlight. Hmm. Maybe we should do an episode on the Managishi. <laughs> like we may have. That's what I'm saying. The Do <laughs> we may have just done an episode about the Managishi. We just it's just been renamed the Dover Demon. Right. I don't know. I'm I'm that's <clears throat> I'm gonna have to look more into this. Well, that's what I'm hoping. Kind of impressed with this the Managishi. You know, Hawaii has something similar to that. Little tricksters. I don't think they're demon like though. But they're little people. I, I remember I reading the those too. I need to look it up. But yeah, but they're nice little people. Well, if you look through a lot of cultures, all cultures have little miniature tricksters. Whether they're the imps of Germany, whether they're That's leprechauns true. of Ireland. Okay. It, it's not surprising that North America, you know, the Native American tribes would have their own. That's so true. you find these kind of creatures all throughout the world. And whether they're different species or they're all the same species... It's possible that the Dover Demon is just an example of what they actually look like. I think that until these little demons make their next appearance, I suppose this is a good time to send this episode back into outer space or back underneath the rocks. Under the rocks! <laughs> we want to give a special thanks to bensound.com for the introduction music. Uh, we hope you enjoyed our stories about the Dover Demon, and you'll come back for another episode as we get better and better. Uh, we're trying to improve and use all of your support. Please spread the word to your friends who would enjoy listening to our tales about cryptids, ghosts, and other things that go bump in the night. And we appreciate how many of you have subscribed. So what I would like to see is, you know, if you've listened to this, go on the Facebook page and tell me what you think it is because this has really interests me. I like these little Managishi people. So I want to hear what your thoughts are. With that being said, I think that this ends our episode, and until then, we hope you make your way out of the mist safely and perhaps a little more curious. So, this is Gary and Goldie. Have a very pleasant day.